Hi, welcome to I Wanna Change the World. I'm your host, Janae Gilmore. That thought, I wanna change the world, has been a guiding force behind so many decisions in my career and in my life in general. But what does it actually look like for me, or anyone really, to change the world? On this podcast, you'll hear about my ongoing journey to figure out my place in creating a better world. As you listen, I invite you to reflect on yours. Let's get ready to change the world together. Hi, and welcome to episode 13 of the podcast. Greetings from the village of Anquanda. If you listened to my last episode, you know that this is my home base for the time that I'm in Ghana. I am not anywhere near the hustle and bustle of Accra. I'm in a pretty quiet, laid-back village uh, right by the seaside, and it is lovely here. And I can tell that I am that I have moved past vacation mode into this is just me living my life mode because I'm noticing that I have to be really intentional about making myself go outside and like go for a walk and actually enjoy the ocean, just sticking my feet in, looking out over the waves, little things like that that bring me so much delight. But if I'm not careful, I can end up spending most of my day in front of my computer. I'm really excited about the conversation that I'm going to bring you in just a minute or so. I'm going to be kickstarting season three, I want to change the world, dot, 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 so I moved to Africa (laughs) by talking to my friend Eunice, who in essence is the reason why I'm in Ghana today. I had never thought about coming to Ghana, but I met her and I was captivated by her vision and her story. And so the journey that led her here to become owner of a a seaside bed and breakfast, I'm now part of that storyline I'm here and getting to enjoy some of the fruits of her work. I took a lot away from this conversation. I appreciate how she spoke directly to some of the themes that I lifted up in the previous episode where I lifted up how, you know, being here and being confronted with poverty and injustice and inequality in a way that seems so much more visible and visceral than at home, which of course we have plenty of problems in America and in Detroit, but just, you know, the scale of things and the, and the intensity of it just seemed different here. In that context, I talked about how I found myself grappling with what I call privilege, shame, frustration, overwhelm, all stuff that's not helpful to me or for the people here but that I I just noticed coming up for me. And I really appreciate how she spoke into that in the conversation. Before we dig into the conversation, I do just want to lift up two things. My repeat listeners, I just want you to know, I know that I'm once again off schedule. This is still, I guess, part of my adjustment process. And I appreciate your patience and sort of just rocking with me as I navigate getting into rhythm with this again. Secondly, I want to lift up that Eunice and I did our call over Zoom, and because of internet bandwidth issues and also the fact that my setup here, I haven't quite found out how to make it as as ideal as it was at home in terms of speaking into the mic and just organizing my space in a way that's ideal for getting the best audio, so you might hear a glitch here or there. It's by no means a major issue, but I do just want to acknowledge that 
I know it's a thing. Thank you in advance for your patience. And right, there is one last thing. So once again, season three, all about me digging into this, I want to change the world, so I moved to Africa theme. I want to be in conversation with folks who have come here, who've seen the challenges, but also seen the beauty and in their own ways have committed themselves to showing up, you know, and making an impact in their own way. I started with my friend Eunice, but I know that there are many more people here and I want to enlist your help in finding them. <laughs> so if you know anyone or of anyone who, who might have some rich and interesting perspective to share with me as I venture on this journey of coming to understand or live into what it means for me to be here and make a contribution in whatever way I'm called to, please let me know. You can drop me a line on Instagram at Miss Janae Ashley. You can send me an email at Janae at GilmoreFacilitationLLC.com. Or, you know, you might decide you want to come to Anquanda and say hi, sit down with me. So whatever the, the way you want to go about it, please do feel free to, uh, to make some suggestions or to, to make some referrals for me. I'd really appreciate it. Okay, now for real, without further ado, here's my interview with Eunice. I am so excited to kickstart season three with my friend Eunice, who is the reason that I'm in Ghana, really. <laughs> so you've heard me speak on the podcast about chasing my dreams and also that I had this dream to come here to Ghana. And a big part of that, or all of that actually started with me meeting Eunice and being inspired by her dream of coming here. So it's my pleasure and my delight to have her on the show today. She's going to tell us about what led her here, the dreams that have kept her here in spite of some of the challenges that she's faced. And yeah, she has a great story. So I'm excited for you to hear it. Thank you for the invite. I mean, I just said a little bit about, well, let me go back to how we met. Picture it. Almost six years ago, I'm in London as a student, once again, trying to figure out life by going to another country. And my path intersected with Eunice's. And at that time, she told me she was getting ready to leave. And Eunice, I'll ask you to fill in the backstory here because there are some pieces that I'm forgetting right now. But I know you were getting ready to move from somewhere in the West. It was either Canada or the UK, move to Ghana and work on this bed and breakfast. And I was just captivated by the story, captivated by her passion. And in my spirit, I was like, I'm going with her, <laughs> which I didn't. But the fact is she did come and she did start working on this bed and breakfast and doing lots of other things here. And so Eunice, please tell us, what is this story that led you back to Ghana? Because I know you're originally from here. Why did you decide to come here? Right, okay. So I was born in Ghana, which now seems like a very long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, and moved, first moved to the Gambia um, as a child with my parents. Then I moved to the UK as a child again. I was 13 when I moved to the UK. And I always say the UK is the place I've lived the longest in all my life and the place I call home. Um, I certainly feel 
Yeah, it's it's an odd thing. I certainly feel on the whole more at home maybe in the UK than I do anywhere else. Um, although after these years of being in Ghana, I do feel equally at home in Ghana now, um, which is nice. Yeah, so moving to the UK as a 13-year-old, um, I guess is really where the story probably starts because being from Ghana, I... I didn't know what racism was other than what I had read. I remember in history, we did, um, our history teacher was a very passionate guy who taught us about Kwame Nkrumah and a bit about colonialism and a bit about slavery. So I, I kind of, I guess, had the concept um, of racism, but it, it was an other, like it, it didn't really relate to my life. And you know, who I was, wasn't in relation to where I was from in terms of my continent or the color of my skin. So those weren't really issues that went through my mind. So then fast forward to moving to the UK, where suddenly where I'm from, my accent, the color of my skin seems to be an issue. And, you know, I have... Um, and I just only thought about this recently, how my accent quickly changed. And I think I really must have made an effort to change my accent because then the amount of times I got teased in school for having a Ghanaian accent as, as a teenager, which, you know, to be fair, that's what teenagers do. We tease one another. And just little, like, it was obvious I was different, obviously, because mm. I was mm. in a different country. And those days you know, being the other was a real thing in the UK. It just seems the society is a bit more integrated now, perhaps. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. But that, I think, planted something in me. And the thing that it planted in me was that I am not from here. Mm. And it's important for me to hold on to where I'm from. And I was really blessed to go to a Ghanaian church, um, the Church of Pentecost in the UK. And I was surrounded by amazing men and women, Ghanaian men and women who were my role models. So I remember with fondness, um, Elder Boache, he was such an amazing guy. And I was in the UK on my own without my mom and my dad. And I lived with an amazing family, the Ajays. I'm getting a little bit emotional. Um, they were awesome people and they shaped who I am. The church was amazing. We had a really good youth group, all Ghanaian really. And I guess we were all as young people going through the same experiences, mm -hmm. you know, discovering who we are, where we fit into that society as people with Ghanaian heritage, you know. And, you know, just to have that support, it was amazing. And that kept me grounded. Mm -hmm. It kept me grounded in my culture because, you know, in church, there's some of the services, they spoke tree, there were tree songs, people were dressed in their traditional cloth and dancing and, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was it an was anchor basically into our culture and who we were. And, and I'm really privileged to have had that because it meant that, no matter what was going on, I knew who I was. Uh -huh. I knew where I came from. And 
if I faced racism, racism, it didn't really bother me because that's their problem, not mine. You know, I, I feel like when you know who you are and you know, yeah, I think when you know who you are, it gives you a level of groundedness. You know, what yeah. certainly did for me. I don't know about anybody else, but it certainly did that for me. And it didn't really matter to me what anyone said or thought about me. I mean, when I was in school, I had jokes like from other um, kids of African heritage, mind you. Or oh, you're so black when it's dark, you can't be seen in the light. You know, it's only when I grew up, I realized that actually nobody can be seen in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're a teenager, you dwell on these statements, don't you? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, I, I've got to say, these kids were not like of other races. They were of the same race as mine. They were just lighter skinned than me. And somehow they felt they were better than me because I was darker skinned, you know, which is also very interesting. Anyway, yeah. so just having that background and, you know, being the other in a new country, I think it just framed who I am and, and sort of what I thought in terms of my home. And after, you know, a long, long time, because so I was 13 and I never went to Ghana until I was something like 25. That's like a 12 year period. And all that time. I just felt this strong link to Ghana because I'm Ghanaian, is who I am. And, you know, perhaps if when I had gone to the UK, I was accepted as part of that society, maybe that sense of I am Ghanaian wouldn't have been so strong within me. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. When I was 20, I think 25, I'd finished my law degree. I think I'd done my training contract by then. So I'd qualified as a solicitor. And I just had this great bug in me that I wanted to move back home, um, relocate to Ghana and see what life held for me. I, I guess maybe at that point, I was just so tired of living in the UK long that I just wanted to go back to Ghana. So I did. But just before I left, I started dating a guy who <laughs> and it turned into marriage so <laughs> for about nine months in Ghana after about nine months in Ghana working for a lot I went back to the UK got married and that was it really and then just settled got you know got a job in the law firm working as a, a property solicitor had three children uh, along the way then in 2015, um, my husband wanted to do a master's degree in Canada. So I had had my daughter at that point and I was like, okay, good time to take a career break. So off we went to Canada, baptism of fire, um, <laughs> Calgary, very cold, not what I like. <laughs> Crazy cold, do mean insane actually. Um, and but you know my husband and the kids they absolutely loved it excited by all the snow and skiing and you know all of that they they absolutely love so I'm like I'm the odd one out (laughs) so maybe being the other it's always good to be part of my story um 2017 he had finished his master's he got a job which wasn't locationed we thought that would be a good time to move to Ghana because it was very important to us that our children knew Ghana in a 
in a sort of like a real way rather than we're going on holiday to Ghana that they also knew who they were, where they're from. I mean, they knew where they're from, from the British side of things, because they were born in the UK and grew up in the UK up to that point. But we'd been on holidays to Ghana, but being mm-hmm. on holidays, not there, you know, as living in a place. <laughs> as um, I'm learning, yeah. So, so moving to Ghana at that point, 2017. So that, that is a bit of a background on how we ended up back in Ghana in 2017 but I haven't said anything about the beach house but I'll probably leave it there. We've been friends for years and this is part of your story that's new to me to some extent as well. One of the things that stood out to me about you from the time that we met was sort of your pride and confidence in being from Ghana but still when you said hey I'm gonna I'm gonna move back to Africa I wonder if some of the people in your circle in your environment maybe at Canada in Canada at that time or even in the UK were like wait what why would you do that from Canada moving moving to Ghana were there people who are like what you're gonna move your family to Ghana yeah um, yeah I mean but I, I can't yeah I mean there were, there were a lot of people who were a little bit confused <laughs> well because people people have such negative attitudes towards Africa don't they which frustrates me because I always say, you know, there are people living there and they're surviving. It can't be that bad, surely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, nowhere is perfect. That's the way I see it. So I absolutely love Ghana. I, I, I just feel there is quite no place like it. And yes, we have our problems. It's a very disorganized place of frustrations for sure. But I have yet to experience a place where people are that warm mm-hmm. um, where people are so resilient and just get on with life and you know I always say Ghana is a country of oxymorons where you know women are very traditional at home and do the cooking mainly and the cleaning but they're also business women and mm. boss ladies you know? <laughs> I've seen and I've in the seen. west people might get confused with that yeah how how it's in Ghana and it's we're very comfortable with that you know and it's also like another example is how the policeman is getting the bribe out of you but you're laughing and chatting and there's something wonderful going on (laughs) (laughs) I always find that funny because that situation there's something a bit wrong about that isn't there (laughs) (laughs) yeah So many of us, in fact, all of the people listening to this podcast have a desire to make an impact in the world. So I'm curious, I know you've told us a little bit about, you know, this, this desire that you had to come back to Ghana, but tell us about the transition from real estate law to (laughs) the dreams or aspirations that led you to want to make an impact here. Right. I don't... I don't think that I set out to make an impact, to make a difference. I don't, I don't really think that's where I started my journey. Uh-huh. Um, I think my journey just started with a desire to go to Ghana, um, certainly in 2017, because it was a good opportunity for the children to live in Ghana and for us as a family to live in Ghana. 
and for me to to live in Ghana because I'd been wanting to live in Ghana for a long time. So no, I didn't set out to make a difference. I mean, the beach house. So my father, my parents built the beach house um, somewhere around 2006, maybe. Um, so my father is actually from the village of Ankwanda. As, he's, as I said, we're matrilineals. So his mother was from Ankwanda. So that's where he was from. Um, I'm always reminded by the people of Ankwanda that I am personally not from Ankwanda. Because <laughs> that's where my father's from, not where my mother's from. <laughs> Slight technicalities, I say. But anyway, it seems very important to some people, especially when they have an argument with me about something. So my father's from the village and he properties because he thought that it would be a great place to retire but that actually never materialized because when he retired he found that he couldn't quite live in the village because for for some personal reasons mm-hmm. so the building was there and it was falling apart because it's it's right on the beach the atlantic ocean is is really bad for buildings um, it eats into your building and your appliances and everything that the, the mm. sea breeze and the salt water. So everything was rusting, everything was falling apart, even the concrete. I mean, it, it just, it's amazing how the sea destroys things. So the building was literally falling apart, just sat there and no one, it had a caretaker, but it needed more than, you know, cleaning and things like that. It needed proper maintenance all the time. Mm-hmm. And we just didn't have the money to be constantly maintaining an empty building. So I thought, well, you know, it's on the beach. It's in the middle of nowhere by (laughs) a village in the middle of nowhere, like a dead end road. Um, I thought, I really like this place. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Let's try a guest house. And you know, the number of people that said to me, it would never work. Who would want to come here? So I had to, I, I, just, I just thought, you know what? I like this place. If I like this place, there will be people like me in this world who will also like this place. The building is there. It's falling apart. What is the harm in trying? Mm-hmm. So at the time, my brother Kofi was around. He was available at the time. So he started it off. Um, it was a very challenging. So this was around 2014, maybe. Um, I was in the UK. Kofi started it. it. I remember the first guest that came was like, there are no mirrors in this place. <laughs> and, you know, we absolutely had no money, but we just knew we had to start because sometimes it's the starting that matters, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just went, we just started and it was very ill-equipped. We had beds, we had some air conditions, not many, there were ceiling fans, but you know, it was very, very, very basic. So I always remember those first visitors we had, and I think that they were very courageous people. Them just (laughs) loved, (laughs) yeah, a lot of them just loved the location and they, they really did overlook the simplicity of our setting. Or perhaps sometimes I wonder is because people come to Africa and they don't expect much anyway. So that may be mm. worked in our favor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when they see our location in the middle of nowhere, like a complete dead end place, and they, you know, they just appreciated the fact that we were even there in the first place. And they had that tr- tranquility um, when they came. So we, we, we basically proved that it could work in that 
supposedly dead end location in the middle of nowhere in remote Africa. <laughs> um, and come 2017, for a few reasons, um, the business stopped running around 20, yeah, around early 2017. But I still, I still felt so the need to still keep the bear. And I was like, you know, we've proven that the guest house will work if we really take our time with it and invest what we can in it. So 2017, um, when we moved to Ghana, um, that became my reason for being, shall we say, for that period of time. And that became my, my passion and it became my work and my pleasure. And I didn't have much money, but I had, I guess, you know, thank God I had my intellect and I was physically strong, much stronger than I am now. So <laughs> I was <laughs> I was able to get involved and I was knocking things down, you know, with my sledgehammer. Oh, and, you know, because so we're by that. the sea, the, the concrete was for, was fortified. So it's really strong and tough. And there I was in the local store. Who is this crazy woman? <laughs> And I was there with my goggles, knocking bathrooms down and, you know, all sorts of crazy things. It was, they, they were interesting times. So we spent most of 20, the later part of 2017 and the earlier part of 2018 just refurbishing the building. Mm. We've been able to save a little bit of money to so we were able to do that. Um, but yeah, so that that is that is where we, the story sort of, that's how the story went really with, how um I got involved and I I feel like our listeners are already getting a sense of your tenacity and dare I say stubbornness and yet still I wonder when you first arrived how you managed to not get discouraged or paralyzed at the scale of the challenges that you faced here um you said you didn't have so much money and this village is relatively out of the way. So what was it that kept you kept you going, kept you inspired and actually taking action to to move things along? Well, I think I would say I'm I'm a very practically minded person, um, perhaps. And what I do do is I I I, I usually bite off more than I can chew, but then by the time I realize it's bigger than I can deal with, I'm already in the thick of it. So I keep going <laughs> on. <laughs> so I, my mind sort of breaks things down into steps. And I always think I'm going to deal with the first step first and worry about the second step when that period mm. comes. So I try and break things down into steps. So for me, the first step in 2014 was to start and I wasn't there. I couldn't start myself. So I, I took over the online stuff. So I marketed it online. And, you know, my brother on the ground was seeing to it that it was implemented. So that was step one. Let's just start. So I didn't consider steps two, three, four, five, that there are uh -huh. no mirrors and, you know, customers are going to complain and, <laughs> and you're going to need more investment in the future. Like, it's not that I didn't think about it, but those were the further down the line steps and we will cross those bridges as and when we get to them. I fully appreciate that. I feel like you're giving me a whole sermon, a whole testimony, but this is also what I see a lot, like in my coaching clients, the same pattern of 
thinking, trying to think 10 steps ahead and therefore remaining stuck at step zero, whereas you're like, no, I'm going to start with one now figure out the rest along the way. So that's a, that's something to hold on to. But the other thing that I'm wondering about having just spent, you know, the amount of time that I have here is I know that not only as a business owner, um, is do you face, did you face a lot of challenges? Do you face a lot of challenges here? But also just as a person, especially one who spent so much time living in the West here, just trying to live, you know, what you might consider quality of life might have been a challenge. And so I'm wondering how you dealt with that, with transportation, with the roads, with systems and infrastructure that aren't what you're used to anymore. Like, how did you navigate that? You know, I, I didn't really think about that. Um because it, it, it is what it is. You know, I, I didn't have any rose-tinted glasses when I was moving back to Ghana. I didn't assume that the roads were as smooth as they are in the UK. I knew there were potholes. So, like, I wasn't expecting anything amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just took Ghana for what it is. And, you know, I, I have this thing about wherever I go, because as if whether I'm in the UK, I'm in Canada, I'm in Ghana, I'm in Malaysia, wherever I am, I eat local food. So when I'm in Ghana, I don't crave Western food, for example. I just eat what is local to me. Mm-hmm. I, I try to live a very uncomplicated life. I personally always feel nervous on the road. So I try to travel as little as I can in Ghana because I think the roads are crazy and people sometimes drive like headless chickens. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, those things are real and those things are there. So the way I dealt with that is, you know, like I said, I don't really travel unnecessarily in Ghana if I can help it. And, you know, if if the water company turns the water off, well, instead of having a shower, (laughs) you pour water in a bucket and you have a bucket bath, you know? It's just what it is. It's Ghana. When the light goes off, it's an inconvenience, but, you know, we have torches and candles, if that's what you've got. And I just get on with it, you know, Uh it's it's Ghana. I'm not, it's not going to change just for me, is it? And, you know, Uh that's the life people lead and they're managing, so why shouldn't I manage? So Uh that's just the sort of mentality I had, really, and just tried my best to get on with it, I guess, I think. Uh And in fact, um, after being here for for some years and starting to to see this place, the beach house really start to grow and develop. I know that your dreams have have evolved even further. So could you tell us a little bit about the dreams that you're still here chasing today? You're you you're you have been employing like these single moms and like really become a force for you know some level of economic development in this remote village where there isn't a lot of economic opportunity and I see that vision expanding so can you tell us about how your dreams have evolved and the work that you're continuing to do here you know when when I read your blurb um it's you know you mentioned about having privileged shame and I, I thought that was really interesting because that has never crossed my mind I I have been I guess using your words privileged because I was blessed enough to be born to parents who cared about my education, who sacrificed for my education and who 
raised me in the way that they felt was the best. I was raised in a Christian home and my parents were loving parents and they, they earnestly wanted the best for me and my brothers. I have three brothers. My parents were amazing. See, that's the privilege because yeah. that, that I had nothing to do with that. It's just where I was born. Another privilege I had was that my father built the beach house in that particular location. Mm. One of the most beautiful places in my mind in Ghana. A blessing. Nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. My father always used to say, you know, my father was a pastor in the Church of Pentecost. And um, my father always used to say that God blessed Abraham. And then he would ask the question, why did God bless Abraham? And his answer was to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. So I have no concept of privilege shame is that I am blessed. I recognize that I am blessed and I am blessed for a purpose. And that purpose is to be a blessing to other people. So my life, if I think about it, is framed by this. So when I go to Ghana and I see the poverty around me in my village, I ask myself, how can I be a blessing in this? I don't want to be like um, a person who gives out arms to people because then I feel that doesn't empower people. You know, our village in our village, people don't want to be charity cases. They want to make a difference to their lives so that their children don't live the same way they're living. Mm-hmm. And I always say to the young people in our village that my father grew up in that village, but because he had the opportunity to be educated, he was able to not be poor for the rest of his life, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's not, it's not really about a dream that I'm chasing. I think it's, for me, it's just a way of, of life. So we happen to find ourselves in that village, thanks to my father. And I therefore feel that it's our responsibility to carry on with what my father has started and to be a blessing where we find ourselves. And, you know, being a blessing doesn't, it's not, it's not like something that we are actively doing, but it's just, just being, you know, we're in a state of being and we, you know, we, we try and employ local people because Mm -hmm. we want them to have a monthly salary, which can then empower them to, you know, to grow and to, you know, enrich themselves and have bigger dreams for themselves. We employ our single mothers because, frankly, they are good at their job, number one, because we're a business, you know. It's important (laughs) to us that people are good at their job. But also, it empowers them to know that they can live their lives and not be dependent on other people. And You know, we have schemes where we contribute to the school fees of the workers' children. If someone's been working with us for a while, due to the school fees of their children, because I want to make sure that those children get good education, because that is their hope for the future, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we're so privileged to have some customers who sponsor some children in schools. That that really is so exciting. 
So I just feel like it's it's not like we have a we're intentionally doing things necessarily, but I feel like it's just part of who we are and just being where we are. Um, we know that it's a responsibility and it's it's you know we've been so blessed with what we've got and it's our responsibility to pass that on, pay it forward. I guess it's um, that sort of thing. So yeah, we do we do want to keep doing that. You know we're. When we're, when we're offering activities to our customers, we think about how those activities will benefit the people in the village. Like we, we offer like a boat tour where you go out on the sea with a fisherman. It's, it's really for the brave people. It's not for the faint-hearted because <laughs> that boat can capsize at any time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we put these activities in because it's extra money for the fishermen, you know. We have a, a young man who's good at beading. So, you know, we've added that as an activity. It's extra income for him. And over time, you know, maybe our village will find itself in a very different place because of the business. And that's what we hope for. In the past, as I've interviewed uh, people, I've asked about um, this idea of wanting to change the world and how that resonates with you. I already knew not to ask you that question because I knew you would do what you did. But (laughs) (laughs) I see that in the kids that hang around here and that work, I'm assuming for pocket change and things like that. And yeah, I just think that that's, that's very compelling, much more compelling perhaps than here you get you get $5, you get $5 and then going on, going about your business. Yeah. I mean, it's, the thing is, you know, we, we are there in that, we're in Anquanda all the time. So how long can you just keep giving to people, right? Last time I checked, I didn't have a Manuel sitting somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be honest, I'm not, I'm not a wealthy person, you know. I honestly, <laughs> a month, it's I'm not a wealthy person. I just I've just been blessed with this building, and you know, maybe to somebody else it would have been a burden to have that building mm-hmm. because then you have to look after it, don't you? You know, thank God we didn't see it that way, and maybe maybe one day it would actually be making enough income for me to even enjoy it. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you so much for being here because your story is so compelling. And in fact, so compelling that it's led me to be here now, helping hopefully to contribute in some small way to this, to, to what you are doing here. And I wonder what you have to say to anyone else who's out there who has, who senses this call in their spirit but might be afraid to start what's what's your your takeaway for them yeah I don't know um just because everybody's circumstance is so different but I would I guess what I would say generally is I guess cutting things down to the size that you can you can handle maybe if that's possible and starting that way because Honestly, if, if you're going to think about all the things that you have to do, you know, take, for example, even like having a child, if you're going to think about pregnancy, morning sickness, um, not being able to sleep, then the pain of childbirth, and then the sleepless nights that come after <laughs> that, and how much they cost, and how my teenage son just eats the whole house and doesn't leave any for me. 
<laughs> like if you're going to think about all those steps in one go, you're not going to have any kids, are you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Using that as an example. Yeah. So if you if you can just break it down one step at a time, I find that really works for me. Mm-hmm. So every little step along the way. I mean, so since 2014, when my brother started, we're now in 2023. How many years is that? Nine years. It's been nine years. And, you know, when customers come and they're like, oh, you don't have this and you don't have that. I just laugh in my head and go, man, you don't know where we started from. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been it's been nine years to get to where we've got to now. And as you know, Janae, we're still a very imperfect place. But that nine years is just taking one step at a time. And when we get money, we do what we can. And it's it's. It's taken nine years. Wow. That's a long time. She talks about how there's so much further to go. I look at this place, even from when I started coming here in 2020, and I'm like, wow, she's done a lot. You guys have done a lot. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we have. But, you know, because because we're so far from where we want to be, it feels like we haven't done a lot. Does that make sense? It does. And I guess... It's a it's about being patient with yourself and maybe we'll yeah. get there in 50 years. <laughs> I feel like that's that's at least the Ghanaian. I won't speak for the African way, but the Ghanaian way. I when I'm riding around, I see these buildings that are all like a third done, a quarter done, just the fence. <laughs> I think slowly, bit by bit, people build their houses and that's sort of just it's just what they do. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's will be so maybe it's a Ghanaian thing, this one step at a time. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, yeah. I understand like in your mind you didn't come like, oh, I'm moving to Africa to do this grand thing and I'm gonna change the world, you know, necessarily with that with that spirit or intention. But I do wonder about your hopes and aspirations for the continent as someone who was born here. And also as someone who has invested so much here, what would you like to see in the weeks and months and years and decades ahead? Well, what I hope for is that we collectively, you know, I I really strongly believe that the hope of Africa, certainly for Ghana, is we, its people. I think when we change our minds and stop looking to our governments to do this and to do that, and if we, we have this concept of what can I do in my little space to make a difference, I think Africa is going to, you know, Ghana certainly is going to change beyond our wildest dreams mm. because it's what we do in our little corners. That is what is going to propel the nation forward because we'll get to a stage that we collectively as individuals are investing in our little places that it will force the government to come along with us. Mm. So, of course, in that process, there's a lot of frustration because the road isn't done. Nobody comes to take your bin. People mm-hmm. are defecating beaches. People are sand winning, you know, and spoiling the beaches and the government isn't doing anything about it. And that mm-hmm. is frustrating. I agree. But if you don't give up and you carry on pushing through and doing your bit in your little corner, step by step, I honestly strongly feel that we're going to change the nation if we carry on doing that. 
I'm not talking about just Ghanaians, you know, anyone with a passion for making a difference in, in Ghana. You know, Ghana, we're warm, we're welcoming. And as long as, as long as you're bringing positive vibes and contributing posi- positively to us, everybody's welcome. And just, you know, there have been some great, like there's a German woman who does the Bilbab project near where we are. I mean, she's not Ghanaian. She's not even of African descent at all. And she's making a difference in her little corner. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very exciting. Well, thank you once again for being here. Also, before we close out, are there any final thoughts that you want on the record? Yeah, I mean, if, if there's one more thing I would say, it's this concept that you mooted about privilege, shame. I really would say that I hope you change your mind on that. There is no shame to being privileged. It's not your fault that you're privileged. It's a blessing to be privileged. It's what you do with that privilege that counts. Hmm. You know? And I really felt the need to say that because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who have this concept of privilege, shame. And I don't think anyone should have that. What can you do with your privilege? You've been privileged. Use it. Use it to bless others. Use it to make a difference. Hmm. You know, that's why you're privileged. Why sit in shame when it can empower you to do great things? Mm. A whole word. Wow. I hope all of you appreciated that conversation as much as I did. Eunice gave me so many gems. And what particularly stood out to me was this idea of I'm blessed to be a blessing. Why be ashamed of the privilege? Use it to to make a difference. How are you called to use it to make a difference? My conversation with Eunice inspires me to put a different spin on one of the questions that I lifted up for reflection at the end of my last episode, which was around, or which were around whether you'd experienced privilege shame and also how you navigated. This week, my question is an invitation for you to reflect on how you can be a blessing in whatever context you find yourself in today, whether that's at your workplace, as you're engaging with different humans on the street, in your household, (laughs) in your friendship circle. How are you called to, to be a blessing? My second invitation for reflection is around this idea of, of doing versus being. What state of being are you in? How would you describe it? In your eyes, is it the same or is it somehow different from what you're, from the things that you may be doing? As always, I'd love to hear from you. So find me on the interwebs. Feel free to reach out, like I said, and I wasn't joking, but also love to see you in Anquanda if, you, if you're planning on coming to Ghana anytime soon. All right, on that note, I look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks. Peace. Hey, before you go, if you want to, one, keep up with my blog, which I do post on sporadically, two, hear about my latest workshops and events, or three, learn more about my work as a facilitator and a coach, then I invite you to check out my website, www.gilmorefacilitationllc.com, and sign up for my email list. Until next time, remember, you're part of a beautiful community of people who want to change the world. Thank you.